Hello, Harvest family. Uh, welcome to our online service. Uh, obviously, I wish that, that we were in person. We're working towards that. We're, uh, we're uh, coming up with our plans for that. Please continue to pray for us in that. Um, I do have one announcement that we uh, told you a little bit about last week. We're doing a drive-through food drive this Tuesday from noon to 2 here at Harvest. This is for the community resource center which is in uh the jwr the jack will and rob um center um uh, they're having more and more families coming to them in need of food this is a, a really simple way that we can be a blessing to our community um so what we're asking you to do is bring some non-perishable items, ones that you already have. Like you, you don't have to go out and shop for them. Um, we, we understand that maybe you don't have time to do that or, or maybe you're just trying to take as few trips to the store as possible. You can just bring what's already in your, your pantry. Um, Non-perishable items, bring them here to the church uh, between noon and two and then we'll have some people that are going to uh, drop those off at the, uh, the community resource center um, later that afternoon afternoon. Um, also, if, uh, if you've been watching our videos but you haven't subscribed yet, I'd encourage you to click on the subscribe button. That's just an easier way to make sure that you are notified when one of our videos has been uh, published. Um, also, in case you didn't uh, read the email, you haven't checked out the passage this week, uh, again, today's passage has some really difficult content and parents you might not want younger ears uh, to, to hear uh, what we're going to read about today so if you need to hit pause for a second go get some earbuds maybe um, I would do that right now um, also after the sermon today um, we we're gonna have a way for uh, you to be prayed with if you would like uh, through zoom um, so there will be a, a link um, that, that you'll be able to click on in order to connect with our Zoom prayer meeting that will be after the sermon taking place while Kai is uh, leading us in singing. Um, obviously, we, we can't wait until we can just pray together in person, um, but, but we've uh, been talking about this for a few weeks now, making it available. Hopefully, each Sunday we'll make this available if you'd like prayer for anything. It could be connected to the sermon or not. Maybe you just want prayer about uh, what's what's going on in life right now. So we, we'd love to do that with you. And um, I hope that, that as you're praying on your own each and every day, that fueling your prayer is a trust that God is at work. Um, praying that, that God would continue to work and that He would be glorified. Um, this is this is the way we need to be praying, and, and you probably many of you've been praying this way already. But but if you're if the fuel in your prayer, if your prayer time has kind of waned as the shelter in place has gone gone on, I think we're all kind of getting worn out. Um, I would encourage you to be praying for uh, for God to be at work and trusting that that God really is at work. Because um, I know that. This has, this has been hard um, in, in some different ways uh, for different people, but it's been really hard even if, even if you don't know a single person that has had COVID. Um, I know some of you 
are just mad about what's going on right now. And, and I've talked to others that are mad that people are mad. Um, I mean, this, this is a hard thing, this pandemic that we are going through right now. And, and one of the things that I'm praying most for is that God will uh, unify his church, that the church would not be divided, that harvest wouldn't be divided, that, that, that no, none of the churches that trust in Jesus would be divided. Um, we can see things different, differently right now. We can view um, things with COVID or the economy differently right now and still be a church um, that, that is most concerned about God's glory. And I hope um, that 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 takes precedent over whatever we believe about what's going on right now, whatever our, our agenda is. Um, and, and if you've talked to me recently about what's going on and you're thinking, man, Greg's saying all this just because of me. No, I've talked to tons of people. And, and I know within our own church, I'm sure like most every church, there's a spectrum um, of, of beliefs about what, what should be happening in our world, in, in our own church, in our economy, um, in, in our state. So um, I just find myself praying so much that God would unify his people, right? That, that we would, even if we see things differently than our brother and sister, we would come together. And um, someday in eternity, you know, a couple thousand years into eternity, you can bring up with your brother and sister, like, man, you were so wrong about COVID. And you can laugh about it. Um, but, but for now, let's, let's humble ourselves. Let's serve one another. Let's pray that, that there would be a unity within um, our church. Uh, because God knows what, what's good. God knows how he's using all of this, even if it's hard for us to see. So actually, let's, let's pray right now before we jump into our sermon. Uh, Lord, we love you, God. We do trust we trust that you are good. We trust that you are, uh, you're not shaken by any of this. You're not caught off guard. You are in control and uh, that you are working. God, I thank you for, um, I, I thank you for a friend that told me about uh, what, what's going on at, at a, a campus uh, with InterVarsity and that there are actually more people have come to know you, Jesus, come to Christ in, in just a couple months during this COVID time that then I, I think had come to, to profess you as Lord over like a three-year period. So Lord, I thank you for that. And we, we trust that you're at work all over the globe right now. And we pray for us as a church that you would unify us, Lord. We, we pray for, for the, the church universal, God, for all your believers all over, uh, all over this planet, God, that, that we would uh, be most concerned with your glory and not whether we're right or about how things should be done, but that, that you would be glorified, God. And I thank you for the opinions that we have, the thoughts that we have, and I just pray that, that even in how we express those, uh, to one another, Lord, that, that we, would, uh, we would trust you in that, Jesus, that we would look to honor and glorify you in that, Lord. So I, I pray uh, for my brothers and sisters, God, this is, this is hard. This is really hard right now, and, and I think I felt it more this week in my own heart and, and in talking with others than I have in, in the previous week. So, Lord, we just we confess our need for you is so great. God, and we thank you for your word. We thank you that we can come to it now. We pray, Spirit, that you would open our eyes to the wonderful truths in your word, to the hard truths that, that today we're going to walk into. Um, God, would we be ready uh, to hear your word 
and, and be changed by your word. Lord, I pray that, that this time would uh, be used by you for your glory. It's in your name we pray. Amen. I said this a few weeks ago, but in case you weren't with us, uh, Scripture shoots straight. It, it doesn't sugarcoat anything. It doesn't pull any punches. Um, the Bible has uh, some horrible accounts of what uh, people have done. Um, but it, it's not like a movie where, where sometimes you watch a movie and you're scratching your head wondering like, man, why did they even put that in here? No, if, if it's in the Bible, we can trust that God in his perfect wisdom has put it here for us. So in a passage like today, um, you're you're probably going to be uncomfortable. Um, it, it might make you angry or sad. Um, it'll probably disgust you. Um, yeah, but but the, these feelings that we have, like a passage like this, uh, with a passage like this, we're supposed to feel these things. So I would encourage you after that introduction, like don't turn this off. Like we we need to hear this. This is uh, this is in Scripture for a reason. Um, for some of you, this passage could stir up feelings that maybe you've buried for a long, long time. Uh, there might be things from your past that, that you haven't worked through, or maybe you thought you've worked through. Um, today, uh, it could be a call for you to trust God uh, with those feelings, with those things that, that you haven't totally worked through. And um, that takes that takes a lot of courage, and, and I want to remind you and encourage you that God is with you in that. Um, there's a joke in my household, when, when something goes wrong, uh, one or two of my kids, they will blame it um, on genetics, right? When they, when they do something wrong, when they goof something up, they'll blame it on bad genetics. And as a parent, uh, there are things that you see in your kids that, that, that are like you that make you smile. You're, you're happy that, that your kids got that from you. But there are also things that we pass on to our kids that really make us sad or even frustrated. We, we see bad habits or character flaws that, that we have passed down somehow to our kids, whether it's just by modeling it and they've picked up on it or, or, if, it, or if there is a genetic component on things that we we pass down to our kids. Now, obviously, uh, your kids, my kids, um, they're not going to display all of the faults that I have, but they will be affected by them in one way or another. And today, we see how much David's boys are like him. They're, they're a chip off the old block. Uh, our truth statement today is... Uh, that we long for the greater King Jesus who isn't paralyzed by the problem of sin like we are. And I've got this next part in parentheses because um, the part in parentheses doesn't, it doesn't directly come from this passage, but I think it, it, this passage gives us this, this longing for this peace. So in parentheses it says, but has made a way to justly deal with sin and bring his own into his kingdom. So I'll say all that again. We long for the greater King Jesus who isn't paralyzed by the problem of sin like you and I are, but has made a way to justly deal with sin and bring his own into his kingdom. 
right? Even though we don't deserve it, we have no rights to his kingdom. He does that. Well, for much of First and Second Samuel, David has been a rock, a rock star. Um, he, sure, he has some flaws like everyone, but up until chapter 10, he's been great. Um, as a king early on, he's been a godly king. And then all of that comes crashing down in chapter 11, in his sin with Bathsheba, and then his attempt to cover that up by murdering or having Uriah killed. Um, in chapter 12, last week, David's confronted with his sin. And what's amazing is he genuinely repents. Uh, he, he, he confesses his sin to the Lord. And then even more amazing is God's grace uh, to forgive him. He doesn't put David to death as David deserved, as the law required. Um, but he also doesn't remove all of the consequences from David's sin. Many of those consequences we will see unfold in the following chapter, some of which unfold in today's passage. David was told that one of the consequences was that, that because of his violence, his house or his family would experience violence. He says, or God says that the sword will never depart from the house of David. Uh, and then God also tells him that, that out of his own house, evil will come up against him. And today we'll see uh, some of that play out for David. And I imagine that it had to be to some degree like looking into a mirror. Um, I'm confident that as he saw the actions of his sons, he was again reminded of his own faults. One Christian teacher wrote this. He said, Godly parents have often been afflicted with wicked children. Grace does not run in the blood, but corruption does. So in the first half of chapter 13, this is um, probably one of the hardest passages in Scripture for uh, me to read. Um, like I said, for some of you, this chapter will impact you deeply. I mean, I think for all of us, it, it is really uncomfortable. It is disturbing. Um, but perhaps one of the most troubling aspects of this story, as uh, commentator John Woodhouse uh, put it, he said, it's a story of like father, like son. So in chapter 13, we meet two of David's sons. And just hearing that these are sons of David, we can't help but uh, think of God's promise to David in chapter 7 uh, of this book, that God will raise up um, after David, his offspring, and establish his, his kingdom forever, that forever on the throne there, there would be uh, kings from the line of David. So first we meet the son Amnon. He's David's oldest son. Um, therefore, he's the most obvious son to inherit the throne of David. We also meet Absalom. He's the next in line uh, for the throne if something were to happen to Amnon. Um, they were half-brothers uh, of each other, so uh, they, they didn't have the same mother. Same father, but different mothers. We also meet uh, David's daughter, Tamar, who is Absalom's sister and therefore Amnon's half-sister. Right away, we read that, uh, that Tamar is beautiful. She's uh, she is gorgeous, and as, an, as a reader of this book, we're instantly uh, kind of nervous for her. And, and by that, I don't mean that she's done something wrong. I just mean that 
um, like your spidey senses kind of go up when you read this. You're afraid of what might happen to another woman who is described as being beautiful. Because after reading chapter 12 and reading about the beauty of Bathsheba, we get nervous for how uh, someone from the family of David is going to treat uh, another beautiful woman. Um, verse 1 says that Amnon loved her. And instantly, as a reader, you know that what Amnon thought was love, it's not love. Um, it's easy to feel this strong feeling and call it love, but it'd probably be more appropriately labeled desire. Right? What Amnon had was strong sexual desire for her. And this is gross, right? This is his sister. Even though it's a half-sister, man, this is still incest. And God has already forbidden incest in Leviticus and Deuteronomy. So it's not like he didn't know better or shouldn't have known better. And this sin, uh, this sexual temptation, even though it's different, it reminds us of his dad. It, it reminds us that he desired Bathsheba. Now we hope that this son of David will do a better job handling the desire that he had, that Amnon um, won't handle the desire like his father David did, but we also fear that he's not going to handle it well. And, and as you read your hunch, um, is, is that Amnon will blow it, just like his dad, that he will prove to be a chip off the old block. Verse 2 describes how strong these feelings are. Amnon, it says that he's tormented by his feelings for her, to the point that he feels ill. Um, it, it seems impossible for anything to happen. And I'm guessing that what that means there is that he didn't believe that she would allow it. He didn't believe that Absalom would allow it. He didn't believe that, that David, his father, the king, would allow it. And, and he's right on all fronts, right? She knew that this was wrong, as the story reveals. Absalom would have hated this. King David, our guess is he wouldn't have allowed it. So he's ill, he's tormented, he's absolutely overwhelmed and overtaken by his desires. In verse 3, we meet uh, his cousin, uh, Jonadab. Uh, he's described as being a crafty guy, right? He's, uh, he's slick. He tells Amnon uh, a plan. He says, why don't you pretend to be sick? Ask your dad, King David, to send Tamar to you so that she can cook some food for you and you can eat it out of her hand, which is just creepy. So Amnon he likes the plan. He puts it into action. He pretends to be sick. He asks his dad, David, to send Tamar to make food for him um, and, and, and the, that she'll feed him. David agrees. And, and you get the feeling that David would do whatever his boys want him to do. And we'll see here as the story goes on, there's a passivity in David as the father. He, he lets the boys call the shots. Um, which reminds us uh, of way back in 1 Samuel of Eli and his wicked sons. Here's this godly man who has really stopped fathering his boys. Verse 7 of chapter 13, Then David sent home to Tamar, saying, Go to your brother Amnon's house and prepare food for him. So Tamar went to her brother Amnon's house, where he was lying down. 
And she took dough and kneaded it and made cakes in his sight and baked the cakes. And she took the pan and emptied it out before him, but he refused to eat. And Amnon said, send out everyone from me. So everyone went out from him. Now, I don't think that Tamar was aware of what was going on. Um, my guess is that once he sent everyone out, she probably thought that was weird and, and, and maybe began to wonder what was happening. But I don't think she had any idea what her brother had planned. Verse 10, it says, Then Amnon said to Tamar, Bring the food into the chamber that I may eat from your hand. And Tamar took the cakes and she, uh, she had made and brought them into the chamber to Amnon, her brother. But when she brought them near to uh, him to eat, he took hold of her and said to her, Come, lie with me, my sister. She answered him, No, my brother, do not violate me, for such a thing is not done in Israel. Do not do this outrageous thing. As for me, where could I carry my shame? And as for you, you would be as one of the outrageous fools in Israel. Now, therefore, please speak to the king, for he will not withhold me from you. She knows this is wicked. She knows that what he desires is a horrible thing. So she appeals to him. Right? She says, God's people don't do this. Amnon, this is evil. This is wicked what you want. Think about the impact that it will have on me. Think about the impact it will have on you. And then she says, you would be acting like one of the outrageous fools in Israel. So then, as a last-ditch effort, she suggests that he asks the king to allow this, to approve of this. And my assumption here is she knows that there's no way uh, that David will approve of this. But she's trying to buy uh, some time, trying to buy a way of escape. She says things to him like, hey, this isn't done in Israel. But the problem is their own father had done something just as wicked and devious in response to his desires. The very king of Israel had done what God's people were not to do. Verse 14 says, but he would not listen to her and being stronger than she, he violated her and lay with her. He refuses to listen to wisdom. He overpowers her and he rapes her. It actually reads, uh, he lay her. It doesn't even have the word with in there. This is all about gratifying his sexual desire. Now, who knows how long he'd fantasized about this moment, but he acted on his desires. He'd been duped by temptation. He thought that this is what he needed. It certainly is what he wanted. And Amnon came to discover the deception of sexual temptation. Right? Just a short time ago, he declared to his cousin that he loved Tamar. But suddenly, things changed after his wicked act. Verse 15, it says, Then Amnon hated her with very great hatred. So that the hatred with which he hated her was greater than the love with which he had loved her. Right? What was called love quickly is turned into hatred by this violent sexual assault. One commentator wrote, Our sexual natures are powerful and capable of powerful good when they are expressed according to their God-given purpose. 
but are also capable of powerful and deceptive harm when our sexual desires and behavior are perverted from their good purpose. So now he seems to be blaming Tamar, his sister, for what he has done. It's always easier for us to blame someone else, to hate someone else, rather than owning up to the depths of our mistakes, of our sin. He didn't know it, but I'm sure that what he really hated was what he had done. He'd hated that he'd been tricked by sin. He hated that what he thought was going to be so fulfilling was a total lie. His fantasy had played him. He was so tormented by his desire it made him sick. And now we find out in verse 15 that what he felt now was even stronger. Sin is absolutely destructive. Sexual sin in particular is destructive. Paul tells us that sexual sin, it's different because we're sinning against our own body. We're sinning against someone else's body. If you don't know this, sex isn't just a physical act. God made sex so much better than that. It impacts all of who we are. It impacts uh, others. So it, when, when someone uses someone else, it, it impacts both people. It impacts your spouse, right? And, and even if you aren't married yet, you've got to know that there's shrapnel from giving in to sexual temptation. And, and God can heal that most definitely. And God forgives But as we learned last week, God doesn't necessarily remove all of the consequences. So this disgust that Amnon feels, it it, it should have been aimed at himself. It should have been turned inwardly, but he turned it towards his sister and he yells at her, get up, get out of her. Now she pleads with him, right? She pleads, no, don't just discard me after using me, but he won't listen. Verse 17 He called the young man who served him and said, Put this woman out of my presence and bolt the door after her. And notice he says, put this woman, right? This. He used her and now he's disposing of her. And he's ordering for the door to be locked behind her as if she's the dangerous one. Verse 18 says, Now she was wearing a long robe with sleeves, for thus were the virgin daughters of the king dressed. So his servant put her out and bolted the door after her. Tamar put ashes on her head and tore the long robe that she wore. And she laid her hand on her head and went away, crying aloud as she went. And then Absalom, her brother, comes upon her. And he, he, he doesn't even need her to say what happened. Right? He knows. He says, did Amnon do this to you? And this probably speaks volumes of Amnon's character, that he was just able to guess what had happened. Perhaps Tamar wasn't his first victim. Well, Absalom says to her, don't take this to heart. And as you're reading it, this might not come across as the most sensitive words from a brother to your sister who's been violated. But I think there is some sympathy here. I think behind those words, what he doesn't say is, he doesn't say, I'm going to take this to heart, right? I'm going to take care of this. And then it tells us that from that moment on, his sister lived with her. Well, Absalom doesn't go to his father. And my guess is that he knew his father wouldn't really do anything. 
He didn't trust that the king of Israel would bring about justice. Or maybe he didn't even trust that he could bring about justice. That's what we want though as readers. We want David to come in and save the day. We want him to do something, right? And, and as this story goes on and as 2 Samuel goes on, we long for the king who can make everything right. Which we know that's Jesus and only Jesus Justice on earth is never perfect because we can't find a perfect judge among us. And stories like this make us long for the justice of Jesus. Verse 21, when King David heard these things, he was very angry. But Absalom spoke to Amnon, neither good or bad, for Absalom hated Amnon because he had violated his sister Tamar. So David's livid, right? He, he cares, but he doesn't do anything to Amnon. And it seems like David's own sin has produced in him a weakness, uh, that, that he's paralyzed. Maybe as he watched Amnon growing up, maybe he could see how Amnon viewed women. And maybe what David saw was, was some of himself in Amnon. And it's like it's it's like David's just a deer in the headlights here, right? So instead of parenting Amnon, instead of warning Amnon, instead of disciplining him, he, he sees this danger speeding ahead, but he couldn't move because he's just stuck there. And moms and dads, don't let your sin keep you from parenting your kids well, right? You're there to help your kids flee from sin and run to Jesus. So parents, it's critical that we guard our hearts, that we guard our character, that we guard our integrity. We cannot let the sin that we've been duped by keep us from parenting our kids towards life in Christ. David loved his kids. I don't doubt that. But he was stuck in the mess that he had made. And the consequences of his adultery and his murder had infiltrated his family, just like God said. So David's angry with Amnon. Absalom hates Amnon. It's burning within him. Everybody knows it. And as a reader, you can guess what's coming. Amnon thought he knew what he needed to do with these strong feelings that he felt. Absalom thinks he knows what he needs to do with what he feels. Well, two years pass in the story. Um, there, there's nothing that happens. Um, there's been no justice, just like Absalom suspected. David had done nothing. And I'm guessing that this fire within Am uh, Absalom just burned hotter and hotter. So he comes up with a plan. It's sheep shearing time. And he invites all the king's sons up to celebrate with him about 15 miles to the northeast of Jerusalem. Absalom goes to his father. He invites his dad, the king. But not just David. He invites all all of David's servants, his whole court. Um, that would be a ton of people to have to throw a party for. Well, David says, no, I can't do that to you. We would be such a burden to you. That'd be so many people for you to have to provide for, for this party. Um, so uh, some people believe that Absalom knew that this request was crazy and that there was no way David would accept. But that it gives this appearance of goodwill. It gives a good feel to this party. It helps uh, alleviate suspicion 
from David. In a way, it kind of butters David up. And Absalom, he knows that David's probably going to refuse this. Verse 26 says, If not, please let my brother Amnon go with us. And the king said to him, Why should he go with you? Right? Absalom asked to send Amnon up, but they hadn't talked in two years. Right? Not since Amnon raped Tamar. Suddenly he wants to invite his half his half-brother who he hates to this feast. And I think David in his heart and in his mind knew something was up. But remember, David's been paralyzed by his past. His past keeps him from parenting well. And maybe he's thinking about his own murderous plot that he had devised to take care of his sin and killing Uriah. Who knows, but he's trapped I think by his sin and unable to do what I think he knows he should do. Verse 27, it says, But Absalom pressed him until he let Amnon and all the king's sons go with him. So twice now, David has been manipulated by his sons to send one of his own kids in harm's way. We can't protect our kids from everything. I I get that. Um, We shouldn't be fooled into thinking that we can protect our kids from everything. But there are things you can protect your kids from. And and David didn't try. He was was paralyzed. Verse 28 says, Then Absalom um, commanded his servants. He says, Mark when Amnon's heart is merry with wine. And when I say to you, strike Amnon, then kill him. Do not fear. Have I not commanded you? Be courageous and be valiant. Right? He makes it sound like, like this is an honorable thing that they are doing in killing Amnon. Well, now David's lust, um, which eventually led to murder, now in his two sons, we see that they've combined in their sin uh, to, to do the same sins of their father. Verse 29, it says, So the servants of Absalom did to Amnon as Absalom had commanded. Then all the king's sons arose, and each mounted his mule and fled. So all the sons take off. And, and when it says the king's sons in this passage, what we're supposed to remember is the sons represent the future of the house. The sons were uh, an integral piece of God's promise. And at this point, the house of David is not in good shape. Word reaches David that something has gone gravely wrong. He's told this rumor that all of his sons have been killed. And what's strange is that this rumor reaches the king before anyone has come back from the party, from the gathering at Absalom. And I think that this speaks to the felt tension in David's kingdom. Right? It was no secret that Absalom absolutely hated Amnon. And I'm confident that word spread quickly that David had said, yes, Amnon can go to the party and sent him off to the party. And what's strange here is that David believes this rumor. David's history is to question people when they bring news, especially news about a death. He questions them, but I I think he believes this right away because he had suspected it right when Absalom made the request. And, And I think he's been worried in the in-between time, wondering if something horrible is going to happen to Amnon. Well, their cousin, uh, Jonadab, uh, that plotted earlier with Amnon uh, originally, he 
he clears up the rumor. He comes and he tells the story of, of what really happened. And again, no one from the party has made it back to Jerusalem yet. So it's strange that Jonadab, uh, who again, he's described as being crafty. Um, it's strange that he knows so much. Verse 32, he says, Let not my Lord suppose that they have killed all the young men, the king's sons, for Amnon alone is dead. For by the command of Absalom, this has been determined from the day he violated his sister Tamar. Now therefore, let not my lord the king so take it to heart as to suppose that all the king's sons are dead, for Amnon alone is dead. Right? He knew a lot here. He, he said they. Right? He knew that this was a group involved in the murder plot. He knew that Amnon alone was dead. He knew that Absalom had commanded it. He knew that Absalom had decided this the day that he found out that uh, Amnon had, uh, had violated Tamar. Uh, it feels like this cousin knows a little too much. And you can't help but wonder if Jonadab, the cousin who helped Amnon um, in his plot, has now turned around and helped Absalom in this murderous plot. And, and this is speculation on my part, but you kind of wonder, I wonder, did he feel guilty for helping Amnon in the first place? Maybe he didn't know how far Amnon was going to take his plot. Was this an attempt to cover sin? I don't know. But if it is, it's a reminder to us that our attempts to cover sin will never work out like we hope. Well, the rest of the sons eventually do get to Jerusalem, and it's confirmed that this story um, from Jonadab is correct. Absalom, he took off in the other direction. He goes far beyond uh, the king's reach. So we find David's house divided. And you can imagine the turmoil that would accompany all of this. David had been angry with Amnon, but he didn't take any action. So now... Uh, how does he feel about Absalom? I'm sure there's a, 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 some way that he relates or, or understands how Absalom felt and the decision that he made. Uh, but now I'm confident David wishes that he had done something to Amnon, which maybe would have saved his son's life. But like with Amnon, David has done nothing with Absalom. David just stuck in the mess that he has made. In chapter 14, um, we're, we're reintroduced to Joab, who's the commander of David's army. And, and in chapter 14, we see Joab, David, and Absalom will each come up with a scheme to deal with the mess that is David's kingdom. Uh, but each scheme will only make it worse. None of them are able to fix the issues that are in the royal family and therefore the kingdom. Joab he can see the rift that's between David and Absalom. And maybe he sees the problems that this will mean for the kingdom. Maybe he really cares about reconciling father and son. But whatever the case is, he tries to fix it. And what he does is he arranges for a meeting with a woman, uh, a woman and King David. And uh, this woman is uh, pretending that she... Uh, that she's lost her husband and that uh, her two sons got in a fight and one killed the other one. And, and it reminds us uh, of last chapter, chapter 12, where Nathan tells a made-up story to David about uh, this sheep. 
And what Joab is trying to do and will succeed at doing is convincing David through this woman's made-up story that David should let Absalom back into the kingdom and patch things up. It's crafty. Um, I'm not going to read it to you because of the length of it, but it appears to work out. And then in chapter 14, verse 21, it says, Then the king said to Joab, Behold, uh, I grant this. uh, Go, bring back the young man Absalom. And Joab fell on his face to the ground and paid homage and blessed the king. And Joab said, Today your servant knows I have found favor in your sight. Now, uh, my lord the king in that the king has granted the request of his servants. So Joab arose and went to Geshur and brought Absalom to Jerusalem. And it looks like his scheme worked, that Joab's plan worked out. Absalom will be back in the kingdom, but David has his own scheme. Verse 24, it says, And the king said, Let him dwell apart in his own house. He is not to come into my presence. So Absalom lived apart in his own house and did not come into the king's presence, right? David says, fine, he can come back, bring him back, but I'm not going to talk with him. I'm not even going to look at him. Uh, Again, David is avoiding. If David doesn't see him, if David doesn't talk with Absalom, then he can avoid doing anything. Well, Joab realizes that the kingdom is in deeper trouble than he even imagined. And I think Joab kind of gives up at this point. So now it's Absalom's turn in verses 25 through 33. But before we get into his scheme, we're given details about Absalom that are kind of strange uh, considering the flow of this story. Uh, 2 Samuel 14, 25. Now in all Israel, there was no one so much to be praised for his handsome appearance as Absalom. From the sole of his foot to the crown of his head, there was no blemish. So Absalom is a good-looking dude. Uh, Later, it tells us he's got long, flowing hair. Maybe right now, because of COVID, you haven't had a haircut like me, and your hair is longer than it's been in a long, long time. My hair hasn't been this long since 1997, seriously. Um, Anyway, so he's a good-looking guy. He's got the long, flowing hair. Some might call him a pretty boy, but the author goes out of their way to tell us that from the bottom of his foot to the top of his head, this man is without blemish. And he's shunned by the king, but we're told that Israel praises him. Israel loves him. Again, you feel the division in the kingdom. So on the outside, Absalom looks the part. He looks perfect. Uh, Gene Edwards says he has the outward cloaking of the Spirit's power without the inward filling of the Spirit's presence. These details, I think they're here to remind us of another potential king. Uh, of King Saul. He sounds a lot like him. Saul too was handsome. Saul looked the part of a leader. He looked like a king. So we'll tuck that away for for next week's passage. But Absalom's scheme. So he's been back in Jerusalem for two years, but he hasn't been able to go into the king's presence, his dad. And and he's just fed up. Um, It's been five years in total since he since he fled. So he sends for Joab. And this is the man who was able to get him back to Jerusalem. Maybe Joab can get him a meeting with the king, but Joab won't come to him. He sends again and Joab doesn't come. Right? He, Joab, I think, sees that David's not paying attention to Absalom. So uh, he's not get, going to pay attention to him either. He's not going to waste his time. Well, Absalom, um, he, 
he decides, okay, if Joab's not going to come to me, then he tells his servants, go set his field on fire. Um, so his servants do that. Obviously, I don't recommend arson, but apparently this time it worked. Um, Joab comes to ask Absalom, asks, hey, why did you set my field on fire? Joab basically says, or Absalom says, Joab, you didn't come when I called for you. Um, and then they just kind of let it go, which is weird. Um, so then Absalom tells him, and it's stupid that that I've been sent for, that I'm in the kingdom, but I'm shunned by the king, right? He's, he's asking, am I declared guilty? And if so, I might as well just go back to where I fled before, or am I declared innocent? And in that case, why is the king shunning me? Which is it? Am I innocent or guilty? And of course, in his mind, he isn't guilty, right? He saw that David did nothing about Amnon um, and his crime, so Absalom felt that he had to avenge for the violation of his sister. And we know nothing else about the, com uh, the conversation, but apparently it worked, sort of. Uh, verse 33 says, Then Joab went to the king and told him, and he summoned Absalom. So he came to the king, bowed himself on his face to the ground before the king, and the king kissed Absalom. So Absalom got to come to the king. But this reunion, as chapter 14 ends, it doesn't leave us satisfied. Yeah, he kisses his son, but nothing's resolved. right? If there are words exchanged, the author doesn't tell us. The author leaves us hanging there with this bad feeling. Right? The future of the house of David is not in good hands. David himself can't take care of his, his own sin. He can't take care of the sin of his kids. He seems paralyzed by the mess he started. So we read chapters or passages in scripture like this, and we have to ask, like, okay, why did God put this story here? He put it here on purpose, right? He, he didn't add it so that it would be sensational and he could sell more Bibles. Well, here's a few reasons that this story is here. One reason is we have to see, we have to understand how destructive sin is. I know we talked about that a lot last week um, and the week before, but this started with David's sin. And, and now it has infiltrated every single member of his family. They've all been impacted by David's sin. So we, we have to recognize, we have to be reminded that our sin is destructive. The second thing is, we see in this over and over again, we can't take care of our sin. We can't clean it up. Right? Think about every time that you've tried to deal with your sin yourself. Right? We see these schemes of Joab, of David, of Absalom, uh, of Amnon even. When we devise our own schemes, it only makes matters worse. Absalom had waited years to kill Amnon. Right? He, he had a totally different fantasy than Amnon. He believed that killing his half-brother would give him back what he desired. Um, I'm not totally convinced it was all about revenge. We'll get into this next week, but, but I think part of it had to do with him wanting to be the king. And, and we're like that, right? We, we are willing to kill what stands in our way so we can rule, so we can be in charge. But like Amnon, Absalom's, uh, sin didn't, Absalom's sin didn't fix anything. It only led to more destruction. It ruined what he had and so much more. So it leaves us longing for the greater king, for Jesus, the only one who can clean up 
our sin, who, who can take away our sin. And He did that for us by dying on the cross. The third thing is sexual sin wreaks havoc. A massive and pervasive lie in our culture, uh, in our world for some time now has been that as long as you have two consenting individuals, go ahead and have sex, right? That's the world standard right now. Consent totally matters, uh, but God's good boundaries are so much better and so much higher than that low, low bar. He designed sexual intimacy for the covenant of marriage and any deviation uh, outside of God's boundaries uh, from that is no good. Be it in person or through a screen or or just in your imagination. And we get we get this story of sexual temptation from Amnon, so it's it's from the male point of view, but this applies to men and women. Um, Over the years, I've talked to a ton of guys um, about sexual sin and and pursuing what they had convinced themselves was going to not just feel good, but it was going to satisfy the desires that they felt so strongly. I've talked to multiple guys that, that experienced strong feelings afterwards, like Amnon, and maybe they didn't hate the woman that they thought they wanted so badly, but they felt this massive void. I've talked to men that afterwards, they just bawled, they just wept, because sex didn't provide what it promised. Uh, But many of those guys didn't stop there for a long, long time. Right? And, and, and I get it, right? There's this massive lie that the world sells us that sex is what we need, it's what we're to live for, it's, it's what will satisfy us. They were convinced that sex is what they needed, so they continued to pursue sex outside of God's good boundaries. Intimacy with your spouse is beautiful, it is good. Praise God for His good, good design, but it isn't what gives you life. Amnon. He took this good thing that God had given and he warped it in his mind. So much so that he wanted his half-sister, which is so disgusting. And what we see here really is is a person that worshipped this created thing when what he needed to worship was the creator of all things. Now maybe you hear this story and, and sex, maybe it's not the giant temptation for you that it is for some people. But you can replace that, this temptation with whatever your temptation is and the result is still the same. Right? Everything that promises to satisfy you, to fulfill you, will only do so temporarily at best. And many or all of our temptations really, they leave us empty pretty darn soon after Jesus is the only way to life, and it's life eternal. It's life forever with Him. Now, most people read this passage, and, and you've never done these things, right? But, but we were able to see how desperately wicked sin is. We see really what, what the sinful heart is capable of if we just let it go. But, but maybe, maybe some watching this video you actually kind of feel similar to Amnon. Uh, maybe in your heart or at least in your mind, you've done something like Amnon or even Absalom. You see the evil intentions, how evil your heart can be. And the incredible thing is that Jesus died for you too. Right? Uh, on Jesus, 
every sin was laid, even the sins of a rapist, even the sins of a murderer. God was just in punishing sin by pouring out His wrath on Jesus on the cross. And if you'll turn to Christ and confess your sin, He gives you forgiveness. He washes your slate clean. He trades His perfection for your sin. Sin ruins us like it did for Amnon and like it will do in Absalom's life as we'll see. Sin will ruin you too. Jesus is the only way of escape from the destruction of sin. So turn to Him and be saved. And I'd encourage you, talk to someone, right? It's good for us to confess. I'm by no means am I an expert in this area, but I'd love to talk with you. I'd love to pray with you. We also have some links um, in, in our in our uh, below the video here um, to some counselors that do have experience that would love to help you and love to point you to Jesus because through Christ total forgiveness is available. I love Colossians 1 19 through 22. It says, For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Now, some people will hear that, that God forgives, and that he'll forgive anyone, and they won't like this. Um, it, it is important to know that not only does God forgive, but, but God's way also means that that there's vengeance on those who do not turn from sin and turn to Christ. Now lastly, I know that for some of you, uh, this passage, it hits you and it hits you really hard. Um, Maybe maybe someone was an Amnon in your life. Uh, Maybe to the same degree, maybe not fully. Uh, And I'm so sorry. Uh, I've thought about you each and every day this week. I've cried for you so many days this week, just wondering, imagining the pain that you might feel as you hear this story today. Uh, I also trust, though, and, and I think the reason I'm actually not crying right now is that God, in His goodness, is stirring up those feelings in you. Maybe you weren't even planning on watching this video today, and yet this is what God had for you. Right? Maybe you've told yourself um, that you're over it, um, but now suddenly as you hear this story, it brings new life into those feelings. And here's what I want to encourage you with. If God has exposed these feelings today, that means that there's still work to be done. Um, Again, we have links below our video here in the show more section to some counselors that have been recommended to us. These are people that have training. These are people that love Jesus and would absolutely love to help you. Um, Like I said earlier, uh, right after the sermon, we're going to have... um, we're going to have an opportunity for you to pray with people over Zoom. I know it's not ideal, but it's what we can offer to you. And we would love to pray with you, whether it's about stuff from this passage 
or just other things that you'd really like prayer for. Um, but you can access that. There'll be a link below in this video, but also in uh, the video that, that Kyle will be in the live feed afterwards that Kyle will lead us in singing. But let me pray now. Uh, God, you, you are good, Lord. And, and we, we come to this passage and I bet, I bet most of us, maybe all of us, were just tempted to not watch this one. But Lord, we trust that, that we needed to hear this passage, that we'll continue to need to hear this passage, that we have to know, we have to be warned of how destructive our sin is, that we have to understand, um, in particular, how, how brutal sexual temptation is. And we have to understand the, the, um, the wake that, that it leaves, the ripple effects of us giving in to temptation. Lord, this passage makes me, and, and really, 2 Samuel just makes me long for you, Jesus. It, it pounds home to me that there is no person, there's no thing on earth that, that can do what I need in taking care of sin. There's no person that can deliver forgiveness and justice, Lord, like you. So Jesus, I pray for my brothers and sisters, whatever whatever this has made us think about, whatever this has stirred up in us, God, would we come to you? Lord, I know, or at least I'm pretty sure that almost all of us are really sick of how things are right now in the world, the, the pandemic, things being shut down, um, whether we think they should be shut down or not, Lord, we, we're just done. But God, would we trust you in this? God, would we look for what you're doing? God, would you raise up labors for the harvest? God, we know, we know that you said the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. God, would we be ready to talk about you? God, would we be a people that even in hard times like this are full of joy? and ready to share about you, Jesus. God, I, I pray for any brother or sister in Christ that's struggling right now. Jesus, would you give them joy? Would you remind them of the hope that we have that is so good because we know the real King. We know King Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So if you'd like prayer, um, click on the link, join our, our Zoom meeting. Uh, I think you'll be in the waiting room, and then you'll be partnered up with someone to uh, pray for you. And if you don't want to join that, uh, click on over and uh, join uh, Kai in the, the live time of singing together. All right, I hope to see you soon.